This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. you here this afternoon. Special welcome if you are new or visiting with us. You have joined us, though, at the very end of our series in the book of Titus, the last little bit of the book of Titus. And if you've been a Christian for a while, often these little end bits of these letters, we're tempted to go, oh, we'll just skip that, you know. It's just like the closing credits of a movie, isn't it? I'll skip past that bit. But there is stuff here for us that God has given us good stuff to feed our hearts and our souls. So let's pray as we open up this end of Titus. God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so we pray you direct our steps in all the different seasons of life we're in, for those at the high points, those in the valleys. Direct our steps by your word now. Give us a word that we need, and we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lot of pressure on us today to be productive, isn't there? To be productive. We all want to get as much stuff done as we can, as efficiently as we can, and as easily as we can. Uh, We've got our to-do lists. People that don't have a to-do list, you freak me out. I don't know how you keep it all in your head. I've got my to-do lists. Uh, We've got our calendars to schedule our time because we want to be productive. We want to be profitable. We don't want to waste any time in this short life that we have. We want to make it count. Those of you who are workers, you've got deadlines you have to meet, projects that you have to deliver, and you've got a value add to your organization so that you're profitable, so that you bring value. Those of you who run businesses, you need to be profitable and, and, and financially actually make progress there. Those of you who are parents, you've got to Manage your time well, dropping off kids, keeping a clean house, getting your kids dressed. There's so much pressure on us to be productive. And technology has helped in many ways. I love my smartphone. It's certainly made things quicker. It's made things more productive. It's made things easier. But 20 or 30 years ago, they said that with the rise of technology, that by about this time, we'd all be working three-day-a-week jobs because we'd be so productive because of technology, we wouldn't have to work the other days. Well, we're working harder than ever before. There's got to be more to productivity. There's got to be more to a productive, a profitable life. 
I read this in The Guardian. This is an article from a few years back. It says this, personal productivity presents itself as an antidote to busyness when it might better be understood as yet another form of busyness. And as such, it keeps us sufficiently distracted that we don't have to ask ourselves potentially terrifying questions about how we are spending our days. See, could there be more to productivity than just ticking off your to-do list, than just being efficient, and just getting things done? What does it really look like to live a life that counts? What does it really look like to be profitable, profitable, productive in the way that we spend our short time here on this earth? In the passage we just heard read, Paul is writing to Titus. It's the end of his letter. Three times he mentions being productive. Three times. Two of the times he uses the word profitable, which just means the same thing, or fruitful is another way of translating it. Because as Christians, we are to live fruitful lives, productive lives. If you came across an apple tree and it wasn't ever bearing apples, growing apples, well, it might look nice, but it's not doing its job. Its role is to bear fruit. And as Christians, we are called to live productive, fruitful, profitable lives. What does that look like? We're going to look at the three times that Paul mentions being productive. And in many ways, this is really a great summary of the whole letter so far. Number one, first time Paul mentions being productive, being profitable, is that we are to stress grace. Stress grace. Emphasize. Never forget the grace, the kindness, the love of God. Have a look at me, with me. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. It says this. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So Paul says he wants Titus in his ministry to stress these things. What's the these things? Well, we've got to look at the verses right beforehand, what he's just said. So jump with me back to verse 3, one of the most beautiful passages of the Bible, verse 3. Listen to what it says. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. So what are these things that Paul wants Titus to emphasize, to stress? It's grace. It's grace. It's God's incredible kindness, love, generosity, mercy. That though at one point you and I were sinners, had disobeyed God, deserved his judgment, God had mercy on us. 
He sent His Son for us. He's forgiven us. And not just that, He has poured out on us His love and His generosity. He's, he's made us His heirs. He's given us the hope of eternal life. It's incredible. And we've got to keep stressing it for PM. Perhaps you think that throughout this series in Titus, us preachers have kept saying the same thing every week, grace, grace, grace. And perhaps all the time when I preach, you feel like I'm always saying the same thing, grace, grace, grace. We've got to make no apology for that because we've got to keep coming back to it, the love, the grace, the mercy of God. We, we never graduate from it. We never move past it. I think there's something within us as humans which makes it so easy for us to forget about grace. It's something in us as humans. We either get proud and we think, oh, yeah, we're pretty good. We've got it made. God will surely accept us. Or we get insecure and we think, oh, am I really good enough for God? Does God really love me? Both of those mistakes are forgetting grace because we're forgetting that actually it's not about our track record. It's not about how good we are or bad we are. It's all because of his love and kindness that we do not deserve. The grace of God, we've got to keep emphasizing it over and over again. So let me emphasize it now. If you are here and you have not yet received God's grace, you might have been with us this whole series and been hearing about the love of God for you, hearing about how he has sent his son Jesus to die for your sins. Would you receive his grace this afternoon before it is too late? Come to him. Ask for his forgiveness. Invite him into your life. Well, why does Paul want Titus to stress grace? It's because that by stressing grace, it leads us to doing good. That's what it says there in verse 8. And that's the productive life. That's the profitable, useful life. As we've seen in this series, the more that we reflect on God's kindness and grace, it transforms our heart and it causes us to want to do good, to serve Jesus, honor Jesus, obey Jesus' word. Not to earn his love, not to earn his acceptance, that, that's legalism. No, as a response to his grace. From grace flows goodness. That's our theme. And Paul says, emphasize these things so that we're careful to devote ourselves to doing what is good. I think too many Christians just coast along in the Christian life and, and think that they'll accidentally start doing good and just stumble into it. Actually, we're called to be careful, to, to really consider, how can I do good today? To really put thought into it. What opportunities has God placed in your path to do good, to love others, to honor him, to serve people, to serve the church? Actually, something that we're to concentrate on, to consider, to really be deliberate in. Is that you? How can you do good, even this afternoon, as a response to the grace of God? This is the productive life. This is the profitable life for everyone. 
That's the first thing. The second thing that Paul says, if we're to live productive, profitable, fruitful lives in this short life we have, is he gives a negative example what not to do. Avoid foolish division. Avoid foolish arguments. Look at verse 9, the next verse. Verse 9. Paul says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They're self-condemned. My favorite social media platform is Twitter. Not many Australians are on Twitter. Shout out to Betsy. Betsy's my really only friend in Australia that's on Twitter. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can look me up. I don't tweet anything, so don't, well, don't bother looking me up. Um, I just follow people, and I do really enjoy it. I really enjoy reading uh, thoughts of politicians and journalists and theologians. I love it. But I tell you what, it is a really toxic place. I mean, you, whatever you write on there, people just slam you. They just slam you. If you write something like, pineapple doesn't belong on pizza, someone will call you a bigot. Someone will call you a racist. There'll be a trending hashtag to cancel you. I mean, people just go nuts. And it doesn't, it's, it's pointless. It's a waste of time. You never read, no one ever says, Hey, great thought. Thanks for your contribution. I've changed what I think about this topic. You never read that. It's pointless. It's a waste of time. Foolish arguments that don't achieve anything. Now, tragically, we often bring that into the church. We bring foolish, pointless controversies into the people of God. And, and Paul says it's, it's just it's unprofitable. It is useless. Now, we don't know exactly what was actually going on here, what the actual foolish controversies were. I would say it's probably what we looked at in chapter 2, false teaching. We knew there was some kind of Jewish false teaching going on at the time, uh, people claiming that you had to obey Jewish laws. I think that's what he's referring to because he talks about genealogies, so Jews were very focused on ancestral descent and that they descended from Moses and Abraham. And, and it talks about quarrels about the law. I think that's probably the Jewish laws. So I'd say that these controversies and quarrels were probably those kinds of false teaching. But I tell you what, in the church today, there's all kinds of foolish controversies that still happen. People who come to church just ready to pick a fight. People who might have a different opinion about a theological topic, which may be one that the Bible doesn't really answer or is a bit of a gray area. You know, when you baptize someone, should you use a cup or a tub, you know? And because they disagree, they slander each other and discredit each other's whole ministries. Or perhaps it's gossip. When you hear gossip from someone at church about a ministry or a pastor or someone else at church, what do you do? Do you, do you stop it at the source or do you entertain it and let it spread? 
these kinds of foolish discussions and controversies, all they do is cause division. And Jesus died to bring unity to his church. Often these foolish arguments are about things that I call third-order issues. They're not first or second order. They're, they're things that really come down to preference. So a great example is music in church. If you ever want to be a pastor, be prepared for many emails about music in church. And shout out to Curtis, because I can't imagine how many emails he gets. Uh, the music is too loud. The music is too soft. We want more hymns. We want less hymns. Bring back the organ. Get rid of the organ. We need more Hillsong. Cancel all Hillsong. The complaints, the emails, they never end. Now, it's okay to have opinions, and it's okay to have preferences, okay? And there, are, there is a place to talk about some of those things. I'm sure Curtis would love to have a coffee with you. Uh, <laughs> there's a place, yeah. So, Curtis.Smith at the Bridge Church. <laughs> there's a place, but it's when it becomes divisive. It's when it becomes gossip or slander or just toxic. And when you make a third-order thing a first-order thing, that's when it becomes a waste of time, unproductive. But there are times when it is right to enter a conflict. There are times when it is right to enter an argument there are some hills that are worth dying on. And they're things that are first-order things. Is Jesus the Son of God? Is the Bible the Word of God? Are we saved by grace or works? I mean, these are things that if someone says they're a Christian and doesn't believe them, I think it's right to divide over. It's right to divide over. And often, actually, we don't divide because we've lost our theological nerve and we're too afraid about upsetting someone or offending someone, so we just stay quiet. But it's actually sometimes right. I mean, and Paul's giving instructions. He actually says, verse 10, warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time, and after that have nothing to do with them. Jesus says a very similar thing in Matthew 18. Very similar thing. Now, there's a difference between loving to divide and having to divide. You know, a divisive person, they love a fight. They can't wait to get into the next conflict or the next debate, and they just relish it, the controversy. No, I think the example we see in the Bible is someone who loves the peace of the church, loves unity, but sometimes out of commitment to the truth of God's word, they, they have to enter an argument or a division but they do it reluctantly. They do it regrettably. They're slow to do it after lots of warnings, and they grieve that they have to disagree with their brother or sister. I think we see a good example of it recently with the Church of England, where some church pastors have disagreed with what their bishops are saying about about the Bible and about sexuality, and they have divided, but they have done it slowly. 
after years of warning and patient instruction, and they've done it regrettably with great grief, and they've talked about it in love, and even now they are pleading for people to turn around. It's not too late. Please repent. Because that's the goal with this kind of division. We're pleading for someone to still repent and come back. So that's the model. There are some hills worth dying on. And when that happens and you step into a division over a first-order thing, we do it with great love, compassion, generosity, courage. And we enter the division regrettably and grieving that we have to disagree with a brother or sister in Christ. But for all these other arguments that are perhaps good to talk about, but not worth dividing over, any kind of constant debate or things that are divisive, it is just foolish. It is a waste of time. And so many churches, you know, the devil loves to see churches divide. And it happens so much. It happens so much. Somebody might have come from a church that has divided. It happens so much. Praise God we haven't experienced anything like that here. But the devil often does it. Loves Christians who just bicker about things and divide and break fellowship. It is unproductive. So the first thing, to be a productive Christian, it's stressing and remembering grace. Secondly, avoiding foolish arguments. And lastly, if we want to be productive, we're to meet the needs of others. Meet and provide for the needs of others. Look at the next verse, verse 12. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. There it is again. He wants us not to live unproductive lives. And how do we do that? By providing for urgent needs. Let me ask you, what needs has God placed in front of you? Is there a neighbor that needs a check-in? Is there someone in 4 p.m. who needs to borrow your car or borrow some money? Is there someone in a majority world country who's experienced earthquakes or famine and, and you can financially give not for food or shelter or health care? Is there a Christian in your connect group who's grieving over the loss of a friend or a family member and, and you could show them love? When we open our eyes, there's so many needs all around us. And the productive life, the life that, that, that's going to count, is meeting those needs, not to earn the approval of God. I want to keep stressing grace here. It's as a response to his grace because he's been so generous to us. In particular, I think we're called to meet gospel needs, to meet ministry needs, to, to provide for ministry so that God's word can keep going out, so more people can be saved, so more people can be nurtured in the faith. I think that's what you see. Paul, Paul lists all of his mates 
And um, I, I love these kind of sections because it's a reminder, Paul isn't some lone ranger. He's got a team around him. He talks about Artemis and Tychicus that he's sending to Titus. He says he's up at Nicopolis, which is on the west coast of Greece and has a very mild climate. That's why he says he decided to spend the winter there. It's kind of like if you, if you went up to the Gold Coast to escape the winter. It's basically what Paul's doing. And he invites Titus up to the Gold Coast with him to get a bit more mentoring so that he can go then back to Crete and keep serving in ministry. He talks about Zenus, the lawyer. Shout out to the lawyers here. Even you're in the Bible. He talks about Apollos. And he says, provide for their needs. Zenos and Apollos were in some way involved in ministry. And Paul says, provide for them. Make sure they've got all that they need to keep going in their ministry. And that's why, church, that we're called to give to our church financially, give to missionaries that we send out to, to serve the church overseas, to give to to start new churches. So many new churches needed in our city or churches that need to be revived. We give for that, provide for those needs. And not just financially, we pray, we mentor, we encourage. Because that's needs we can meet, gospel needs. It's not just the practical needs around us. It is that, but it is also meeting the gospel and ministry needs. What has God put in your hand? that you could use to meet urgent needs. Well, 4 p.m., the productive life, it is more than a to-do list. It's more than hitting your career goals. It's more than paying off your mortgage. It's more than having a healthy work-life balance or keeping fit. The truly productive and fruitful life is found in Jesus, in serving him, in living for him. So let's remember his grace, his, his kindness and his love, and let that transform us so that we are eager to do good. That's profitable. That's productive. Let's keep the unity of the church and not waste time in unproductive, foolish divisions. And only divide if we absolutely have to, regrettably, painfully. But other than that, let's live the productive life, the fruitful life, and avoid foolish, false teaching or arguments. And let's devote ourselves to meeting the needs of those around us, practical needs, gospel needs. 4 p.m., the devil wants the opposite of all three of these things. The devil wants us to forget about grace. The devil wants us to be distracted by foolish arguments. And the devil does not want us to meet the needs and be the church to those around us. But we will not let him win because we are his people, God's people, called to do good. And so as we finish this letter, it finishes with the theme we've been talking about the whole time, the undeserved 
lavish, generous love of God, Paul says, verse 15, everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of grace, that you have been generous to us in so many ways. Thank you, Father, that you have revived our hearts when we were dead in our sin, that you've shown us your love, that you mobilize us to do good. Show us the needs in front of us. Show us the opportunities to support people in ministry, to uh, plant churches, to reach the lost, to evangelize our friends. Show us the practical needs of people around us who are hurting, and would you use us? Keep our unity. Keep us from being distracted with pointless quarrels. Lord, we long to live a fruitful life, to make the most of the time that you've given us and honour you.